It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. We are so close to real baseball. We are like hours away from real baseball, and none of us could be more excited. Welcome in the second edition of MILB.com's The Show Before the Show podcast. I'm Tyler Mon. Out of New York City is Jake Siner. Hi, Jake. Hey, Tyler. What's going on, man? It's so, so fantastic that we are this close. Like, like spring training is like that little bit of... It's like the sponge that you can drink from when you're, like, wandering in the desert of winter. <laughs> but now it's, like, actual baseball. Is that, is that where you pulled the Cactus League name from? <laughs> exactly. People were dying of thirst. <laughs> the Cactus League, that'll do. But now, like, real baseball on yesterday from the Major League Variety, real minor league baseball is coming up in a couple of days. We're recording this on Tuesdays. We're two days away from MILB opening day. We are ready to go. We are so ready to go. <laughs> so welcome in to the second edition of the show before the show. Uh, like I said, I'm Tyler. He's Jake. Uh, we got all kinds of fun stuff coming up today on the show. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays AAA manager Jared Sandberg will join the show uh, in for his first season with the AAA Durham Bulls of the International League. He's going to talk with Jake coming up a little while later. We're also going to talk with uh, the birthday boy, Sam Dykstra. I'm going to try to work the phrase on fleek into that interview just to make Sam furious. What? <laughs> Wait, what, what, you're, I know you're, you're talking to a younger person here, but I, I legitimately do not know what. <laughs> okay. Fleek. So I, I didn't know until like two weeks ago. Apparently it's like a thing that the kids these days used to say like on point. Like if your hair is on fleek, then that means like you're having a terrific hair day. But I just figured this out like off of a Vine video like two weeks ago. And then I used it in a tweet uh, about John Elway. I did that story about John Elway's one season in Oneonta in the New York Penn League. And I found a picture of him when he was at Stanford where he had some sweet stirrups. And I said, on fleek. And Sam responded and said, if the phrase on fleek is in this story, I'm deleting the entire thing. <laughs> so you're talking to a guy. I feel like I just, I just figured out the proper way to use swagger. And I think I'm probably two or three years behind. So, so honestly, it's going to take me, catch me in like 2017. Okay, good. We drop on fleek in my middle of We'll keep an eye out for like, you know, episode 140, and we'll have an on fleek from Jake. That sounds fantastic. Uh, but we got Sam coming up later. We got to talk with uh, with our good pal Benjamin Hill of Ben's Biz, of course. Uh, ben, obviously, last week announced his schedule where he's going to be for this entire season on his road trips. We're going to talk about one of the signature facets of those road trips coming up, uh, and that's a little bit later on in the show today. So we got a packed second edition for you. Before we get into three strikes by the way we've got a new feature of the show before the show podcast for this week we're debuting it rolling it out for the very first time ever a question of the week is what we have for you our loyal tuned in listeners here on the show before the show uh which we are going to have now every week going forward for this 2015 season a free MILB.TV subscription will be coming to one lucky respondent to our question of the week here for episode number two of the show. And this week, our very inaugural question of the week is, uh, is this one. If you are a Chicago Cubs fan, do you want all-world everything third baseman slash maybe outfielder slash maybe first baseman Chris Bryant starting the year with the AAA Iowa Cubs, or would you have preferred that Chris Bryant start the season in the major leagues? Here's how you get in on the question of the week. Email us to our brand spanking new email address, which is podcast at MILB.com, podcast at MILB.com. You can also respond to us on Twitter if you like. Uh, at MILB is the the official MILB.com Twitter handle, at Jake underscore signer. That's Jake's I am at Tyler Mon and give us your thoughts. Give us an explanation of why you would want Chris Bryant in one spot or the other. But that's a question on everybody's minds. Coming into the 2015 season, obviously, Chris Bryant, where he is, what he's doing, and we want to get your takes. So that's our question of the week for our uh, our first go-round with the question of the week. And one of our lucky respondents will get a free MILB.TV subscription for the 2015 season. And we're going to dive right in with three strikes. Three strikes. 
Strike One this week. We have uh, we're going to be a little focused on some of the recent uh, assignments for players, uh, and one of the ones that really jumps out is the Royals are sending 19-year-old shortstop Raul Mondesi to AA Northwest Arkansas, which uh, is an aggressive jump. He's going to be the first 19-year-old to open the year at AA, uh, position player, 19-year-old to open the year at AA since Jerks and Profar and Manny Machado both did it in 2012. Other guys that have, well, really, there haven't been many guys who have done it at the AA level start of the year. Uh, Carlos Triunfo was the last guy to do it in the Southern League. Um, guys who have played in Double A but didn't start the year there recently include Jason Hayward, Starlin Castro, Brett Lowry, Freddie Freeman. So the Royals are, are putting Mondesi in a pretty uh, selective group of players who have been pushed that quickly. Um, I thought it was it's, it's interesting. He hasn't had as much success in the lower minors as a lot of those other guys we just mentioned. Profar was already an all-world prospect and was, was putting up monster numbers in A-ball. Machado wasn't quite as much of a world beater when he was in A-ball. But he was more advanced than Mondesi. He was making more uh, more contact than Mondesi. Mondesi is an interesting guy because he's he's a tremendous athlete. Uh, his speed took a, a step forward last year. That helped him on the bases and at shortstop. Uh, reviews of his defense at shortstop are, are tremendous. He hasn't really performed as a hitter much in the minor leagues at this point. He's a switch hitter. He struck out almost 26% of his at-bats last year. Um, when you look at, there are some of the studies and things people have done on what numbers you can look at for lower minors guys and performance. Contact rate tends to line up most with uh, with guys who, or is one of the indicators of a guy who is, is destined to do things beyond uh, the lower levels. Um, so Montezzi's a really interesting guy because the scouting reports are just outstanding on, I mean, I think it speaks to his makeup and what the Royals think, sending him to AA at 19. And um, and in the field, he's, he's excellent, as I mentioned. He's an excellent base runner. But the, the hitting hasn't really been there, and the Royals aren't slowing him down despite that. Um, so really putting a, a lot of faith in Montezzi's bat and in his, his makeup that he's going to be able to handle AA at, at just 19. It is a very interesting move because we did not really see him go out and dominate at Class A Advanced last year at 18. So you would have thought that the the school of logic would dictate, you know, give this kid another at least a short second tour through the Carolina League, see what he can do, see if he's acclimated and adjusted to what he saw last year at Class A Advanced Wilmington. He played in a very, very pitcher-friendly ballpark in Wilmington. Daniel Frawley Stadium is, is a cave. I mean, it is a national park in terms of its size, its dimensions, and the way that the balls travel there or really don't travel so maybe a 211 average and a 610 OPS is not quite indicative of what he's able to do offensively but yeah didn't necessarily blow you away from the plate at least with what he did last year so it is fascinating to see that the Royals feel like he's ready to be challenged at this level he is going to be in a much better offensive situation going to Northwest Arkansas this year uh, but it's it'll be a fun thing to watch to see if maybe getting that challenge you know we saw it last year uh, on obviously a different standpoint but Mark Appel in the Houston Astros organization really really struggled in Class A advanced but then when he moved up to Double A, he was like a different guy change of scenery different ballpark different approach to the guys he was facing and the guys who were facing him the way that they approached him, and he excelled. So some guys fare better when they climb higher. I actually was with the Braves organization when Jason Hayward was promoted, and Hayward was kind of the same way. He had a very good stint with Class A Advanced Myrtle Beach, but when he moved up to Mississippi, he blew up because a lot of those guys who are very advanced in their approach and in the the way that they want to attack pitching and that sort of thing actually get better as they climb higher because they're facing higher quality opponents. They're facing guys who are going to work more around the strike zone if you're a hitter, guys who are going to give you a little bit more of the approach that you plan on seeing so it will be intriguing to see if Mondesi can kind of follow that route uh, and I was also glad to see that the Royals just like the Diamondbacks already made one of the big points of my prospect primer wrong Diamondbacks I said oh they're gonna let Peter O'Brien work as a catcher and he's already getting work in the outfield again and with the Royals I was like oh Mondesi's headed back to Wilmington and he's headed to Northwest Arkansas so there are my two big uh, my two big projections that have already been blown up super pumped yeah, and one thing, uh, one other thing with Mondesi too is he has had a pretty impressive spring training. I know saw Definitely. reports and things that, that he showed up in, in even better shape than last year and, and looked really good. So it's fine. I don't know if that was something they had decided before. It sounds like if you had heard from them that they might have been on the fence or were thinking about sending him back to Wilmington, that might have been a late in camp decision. He is a guy who they know has the tools to really succeed anywhere. And when you have somebody that you're that high on, I think you like to see 
how he's going to respond to a challenge like this. And, you know, if he struggles and send him back to Wilmington, let him get his feet under him, that's the luxury that you have when he's 18, 17, 18, 19 years old over these last couple of seasons where he's been challenged at pretty high levels. So if you really want to see what he can do at those higher levels, throw him in there, let him get his work in, and if he does struggle, then you have the luxury of sending him back. You send him back to high A at 19, he's still one of the youngest players in the league. That's strike one. Strike two involves some more guys who are moving at very quick levels. The New York Mets uh, have decided to jump some young prospects up to higher levels, including Ahmed Rosario, Marcus Molina, who are moved up to Class A Advanced St. Lucie. Uh, Molina, of course, just 19 years old. Rosario, uh, 19. Actually, Molina's 20. Rosario's 19. Yoan uh, Urania is in the mix there as well, being moved up. The Mets... We know how confident they are at the major league level this year, but they also have a lot of talent coming up at the minor league levels. And similar to what we're seeing from the Royals in this circumstance with Montessi, challenging guys again at higher levels and guys who have already had a decent amount of success. Uh, last year, Rosario spent only seven games in a full season league, struggled there, but was really, really good for the Brooklyn Cyclones, the New York Penn League, OPS 717 and 68 games there. Uh, this is another thing that's fun to watch. The Mets have a lot of pieces in play at the major league level, but they've also got a lot of these guys that they're really confident in at the minor league levels, too. Yeah, the uh, the one, actually, of that trio that did not surprise me going uh, straight to St. Lucie was Marcos Molina. I uh, talked to the uh, the Brooklyn manager, Tom Gamboa, last year at the uh, the New York Penn League All-Star game, and he actually predicted back then that he thought Molina was a guy who just didn't need to, to touch Savannah. I thought he could go straight to I thought he was so advanced, which, I mean, Molina was a younger guy, and it sounds like his... Uh, his makeup and his, his approach to the game took a step forward last year, starting in, in spring training, extended, and that was something the Mets saw, and um, still sent him to Brooklyn and, and really just let him dominate the, the league there. So it sounds like that's a, a case of a guy who, you know, I mean, young guys, this happens all the time in the minor leagues. They, they at some point, you know, they're all growing up and, and turning into men, just like anybody else. And it sounds like Molina turned that corner uh, early on last year, and everything kind of followed suit from there. He certainly always had the, the promise of the potential, and now the stuff is, is, uh, has him climbing up uh, prospect lists uh, too. By the way, one of my favorite stories from the 2014 season was actually one that you wrote, Jake, from August, <laughs> where Joan uh, Urania was actually ejected from a game for a national anthem standoff uh, in a game against Staten Island last year, and what this is this tweet is so money from the Brooklyn Cyclones from last year. It says, so third baseman Urania got ejected before the game started for standing on the foul line for a standoff against the Yankees, hashtag no fun league. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that was an interesting story to have to chase down. Um, yeah, that, apparently that was an epidemic in the New York Penn League last year. <laughs> like, we've seen this at the Major League level a couple times. Too. Somebody did it in the, was it in the World Series or the playoffs. The, uh, the NLCS, right. uh, I think last year. Was it last year or was it 2013? No, 2013. Scott Van Slyke and Joe Kelly yep. uh, for the Dodgers and the Cardinals. Yep, yeah, yeah. So they had one of these standoffs <laughs> at the end of the National Anthem where both guys were standing on the line. Um, but there was so there was conflicting stories. Apparently, there was no one from. I think he was playing Staten Island. Is that yeah? You're right. playing right. Staten Island, and so somebody said that the Staten Island guy was only standing like right in front of the dugout. So <laughs> the umpire didn't realize it was a standoff, and then somebody else said that Urena was just praying. Um, and apparently, that's the thing he does. So this is this is a whole epidemic, and, and Urena was kind of made an example of out of that. But yeah, that was that was that was an interesting night. Those are always the fun stories to chase down. <laughs> I'm not calling about a performance. I need to really know about the National Anthem standoff. <laughs> strike three. So strike three is uh, New York Yankees prospect Ty Hensley announced on Twitter this week that he is undergoing or has already undergone Tommy John surgery with Dr. James Andrews. Um, Hensley, the, uh, the title, and I like this, the headline on a New York Post, Post story about it, called him the unluckiest Yankees prospect ever. Um, Hensley's had a, a rough road. He was a high school kid out of Oklahoma. Uh, when the Yankees took him in the 2012 draft, they initially offered him $1.6 million, and they shaved that offer down to $1.2 after they saw um, after they saw the uh, the medicals on his elbow. They said there's something about his elbow that they were concerned with, which turns out maybe they were right to be concerned that he's undergoing Tommy John. But uh, Hensley also had a, a pretty rough offseason. He had had uh, multiple facial surgeries. Um, after he was brutally attacked. His right eye was black. His mouth was wired shut. He had a two-inch cut on his chin. He had a missing tooth. Um, just a really nasty offseason and, uh, you know, a, a tough thing to, to then have to throw a Tommy John surgery on top of that. Uh, but Hensley seems really, uh, really, like he's keeping it together and handling it well for such a young guy. He had a, a pretty touching and motivational uh, little thing he put on Twitter talking about, 
Uh, he's not going to let this hold us back. He still best, uh, you know, really believes that he's going to get to the majors and he's going to do everything he can to work through this. Uh, but really, your heart goes out to the kid just, just going through this on top of the offseason he had and, and some other things he's had in his past. Especially the way that this whole thing went down over the offseason and was so scary. It was a, a fight that there were later charges filed against 24-year-old Anthony Morales, who played football at Weber State, tried out for the Carolina Panthers. Supposedly, according to the New York Daily News, pretty short shortly after the story surfaced it was an argument over signing bonuses hensley yeah. reportedly refused to tell morales how much he received as a signing bonus from the yankees and morales according to the story did not like that and attacked hensley over it uh hensley yeah shortly after he was drafted irregularities turned up in his shoulder and his elbow and that reduced the signing bonus then he had surgery to repair the labrum in each of his hips then he had this attack now he's had tommy john surgery i mean it really is it's tough to argue with the unluckiest prospect in Yankees history label, but what you do love to see, as Jake alluded to, he posted on Twitter and on Instagram yesterday uh, a pretty lengthy statement. Um, on Twitter, he just titled it 2016 and then had this paragraph that he had written out and said, uh, in part, said, quote, it sucks. There's no getting around that. That being said, I'm done feeling sorry for myself or anyone else feeling sorry for me, for that matter. I'll be fine and I'll be back doing things better than I could have before. I will never take this game for granted. Later on, he said, I don't care what I have to go through to fulfill my dream of pitching in the big leagues and for a long time I will do it keep following my story there are a lot of bright days ahead for a kid who has been through what he has been through it's pretty inspirational to see the way that he is going to attack this rehab and and really want to be back to the guy that he was the guy the Yankees knew that he was when they took him out of high school yeah I mean you know certainly a guy that's easy to root for uh, once he's coming back in, in 2016 definitely something we'll be monitoring A couple of quick mentions before we get out of here. Uh, The Nationals are keeping a couple of prospects in extended spring training until the end of April. No injuries. Those are Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. We saw what Giolito did last year. He's one of the most exciting pitching prospects uh, in all of minor league baseball. It's probably just a move to limit innings. That's happened with a handful of prospects around the minors. Uh, I know the Rockies are holding their top draft pick from last year, Kyle Freeland, in extended spring training as well. He dealt with some very early shoulder fatigue uh, this spring, and the Rockies kind of the same thing, just want to limit his innings but uh other than that we're seeing a lot of prospects who are headed to high levels guys who are being challenged it's going to be a fun uh, a fun start to this season to watch some of these guys uh headed into 2015 and man games are two days away it's so much fun <laughs> <laughs> so that's street strikes for episode number two of the show before the show coming up next Jake will sit down and have a chat with Durham Bulls manager Jared Sandberg as we get set for the 2015 season and Sandberg gets ready for his first ride as Bulls manager in the International League. Joined now by Jared Sandberg, who is the first-year manager this year at the AAA Durham Bulls in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. It's his seventh year with the Rays. He managed last year at uh, Class A Advanced Charlotte in the Florida State League. Jared, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, how's everything going? Going great. Yeah, we're up here in Durham and got a little bit of uh, rain up here, but uh, I'm getting ready for the uh, first workout, uh, preseason workout before the season starts. Uh, yeah, we wanted to start. This is uh, a promotion for you, jumping uh, jumping a couple levels as a manager in first year in AAA Durham. I just wanted to ask, starting what your uh, reaction was when you found out you'd you gotten the job there and what the experience has been like. I know you haven't gotten any, any games yet, but going through spring training and, and dealing with some of the players at the AAA level, kind of what that's been like so far. Well, uh, obviously I was, I was extremely excited to uh, get a phone call from Mitch Lukovics and uh, letting me know that you know, I've been promoted to manage the Durham Bulls, a, a place where I spent five years as a, as a player uh, back in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, kind of moving up, obviously, is, is, was a goal of mine. Uh, it, it happened rather quickly, uh, the ascent of, of the, the Rays organization and system. But uh, my, I know my family is very excited. I'm, I'm excited to get back here in Durham. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still have a lot to learn as a as a manager, so um, this is going to be a great platform for me to uh, continue the uh, learning process. Yeah, you mentioned being a player there in the early 2000s, and, and Bill Evers was the manager from 98 to 2005, and he was replaced by Charlie Montoya, who was managing up until um, last year, and those two guys at, at one point were um, the all-time wins leaders for Durham. 
Uh, I want to ask us what it's like to, to step into an organization that's only had two managers since 1998 and, and what your relationship was with uh, Charlie Montoyo and, and with Bill Evers and, and how maybe they've helped to prepare you to, to take on the, the role at Durham. Man, this is a really good question because uh, I, I could talk on this for a, a long time. Uh, Bill Evers was my first ever manager in the minor leagues. I got reported to the Gulf Coast League as a player after getting drafted in 1996, and then he was uh, my manager again when I was here in Durham. So, you know, him and I have a, a special connection. I look at him as like a father figure, and um, you know, I've, I've been picking his brain, um, you know, throughout the, the last six years as a manager, and uh, he's going to come up here and spend the first 11. And games with uh, with the Durham Bulls and deal about different ideas and thoughts off of him. Uh, a guy that I look up to and and uh, really respect. Um, you know, Bill following his foot, footsteps is, is a huge honor. And then Charlie Montoya was like my second manager in professional baseball. He's been my roommate the last couple of years in spring training. Uh, great friend, great mentor. Uh, I've learned a lot from from Charlie and, and picked his brain the last couple of spring trainings as far as you know what it's like the AAA level and uh, again I'm excited to follow in, in in his footsteps and you know both those guys are, are mentors and people and guys that I look up to and respect and uh, again it's a huge honor just to follow in their footsteps and huge shoes to fill I mean they've been very successful they laid a that groundwork for a, a very successful uh, minor league organization Durham Bulls are I mean pretty much a household name since the since the movie Bull Durham but you know Bill and Charlie have made it very successful with the wins and um, I'm looking forward to trying to continue that. <laughs> how, uh, how is Charlie as a, a roommate? Is he a pretty clean guy or? <laughs> wow, you you went right for the dirt, huh? <laughs> uh, no, he's uh, he, um, a great guy. You know, uh, if baseball's on, he's, he's got it on the TV. Uh, if baseball's not on, we're usually watching. We're usually watching uh, some sort of music video that's got uh, gives him the ability to bang on his drums and, and uh, <laughs> really jam out to uh, to some music. <laughs> That's that's pretty funny. Um, yeah, I want to. I know we spend a lot of time at, at our site, and, and I think just the general audience uh, talking about how the minor leagues are, are a learning ground for players, and talk about prospects and tries kind of guys trying to get to the, the major leagues. But um, I know a lot of times it's very similar for the, the managers. Also, um, I, I would assume that that managing in the majors is something you might aspire to one day. But I wanted to ask you just about that. What it's been like to, to rise so quickly, and what you think uh, you've been able to do to uh, be able to rise so. Quickly quickly and maybe some things that you think you've improved on as a manager just as you've come up uh, uh, through the lower levels. Yeah, I definitely, in getting into coaching and managing, I definitely tried to be as organized and detailed as, as possible and uh, all the while trying to build relationships with, with the players, um, which is going to be a key here for me in Durham. Um, you know, it's it's hard to win in the minor leagues because you know you got you got different rosters. It seems like every week, and you know players are moving up and down, and um, so I mean it can be very difficult. To, but the, trying to keep the team together and um, keep everybody on the same page as as far as trying to go out there and compete every single day, and, and you know have dialogue, and communicate on how they're feeling and what they're what they're going through. And you know, again, I'll lean on my experience uh, at, at this level to you know know what the players are going through. Um, as far as going up through the minor leagues, I mean, I've, you know, it's been a, you know, learning on the fly kind of, kind of, kind of deal. Um, the in-game management is pretty much the same. It's it's baseball, and, and you and you 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 go with the flow and you deal with it, and whatever the game presents, um, you know, you make your in-game moves that way. And at the lower levels, it's about player development and about um, you know letting everybody play and learning what they can and can't do and showing the organization uh, how good of a prospect or player they are and as you move up the ladder um, you know you're getting into some some six-year free agents and some older players and where you know you know making making good money whether it's in AAA or, or, the, or the major leagues is, is, a, is huge to them so um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that goes on to what I've learned at the, at the lower levels that I'm going to be able to take and, and use it as my experience here in Durham. But um, yeah, it's 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 been an ongoing process for me. I think the the biggest thing for me is as I as I've grown come up is you know learning how to manage a bullpen and it's going to be put to the test even more this year with you know being short at times and just you know this is 
venue here in Durham and AAA is about the big league club and, uh, and their needs. So hopefully uh, these players here in Durham realize that. So I want to ask about some of the, the players you're going to manage at Durham this year. But I wanted to start with uh, a player you managed last year at Charlotte and Justin O'Connor. Um, got a lot of attention last year, I think, for largely for an offensive breakout. I wanted to ask if there was anything specific you saw in Justin, um, whether it was something with the swing or, or something with his mental approach, just kind of what led to, to the strong offensive numbers and, and the big season for him last year. I think it was an experience and, and maturity for Justin. You know, uh, he was able to cut down his strikeouts the last couple of years and uh, he able to put, put together a, a great season last year. And, you know, maturity, he saw it in the batter's box where the pitch recognition got a whole lot better and there's a, there's a comfort level uh, when he's in the batter's box. And then when he's able to get off a swing, he's got, you know, good bat speed and good power uh, to all fields. And he put together a, a great a great season last year and be able to put, him, put himself on the 40-man in position to uh, play in the big league at some point. You know, the rest is kind of up to him and, and his work ethic. And, uh, you know, it's up to him to, uh, to continue to put it all together because his, his tools will uh, definitely play in the American League East. That's about a guy that, that you're going to manage, I believe, for the first time this year is second baseman Ryan Brett, who's another guy who's, who's climbed up the Rays prospect list. Um, so 297 career hitter, has some really strong offensive numbers. Curious what you've seen from him in, in spring training this year and what you think Durham fans and, and Rays fans can expect for him in 2015. The guy with, with good fast twitch and he'll be playing in the South Division here in the International League where there's a couple other second base prospects so it'll be interesting to see how he kind of stacks up against those two guys but um, you know Ryan's you know got the ability to you know hit the baseball and, and hit for a high average and and then uh, he's got speed too I mean he'll be able to steal some bases and you know he puts the ball in play he's got a chance to beat the ball out or hit the ball in the gap he's exciting uh, to watch him run so uh, looking forward to managing him uh, for the first time. I did manage him in extended spring training when he was a little bit younger, and, and uh, he's come a long way uh, also from a maturity standpoint. And uh, he, with his skill set, uh, he should he's uh, he's set up himself to get to the AAA level, and uh, I'm looking for him to have a great season. And the last guy I wanted to ask about is uh, Mikey Matsuk, who's going to be back in AAA for the second straight year. Uh, when I talked to the Rays farm director, Mitch Lukovics, he mentioned that he thought Mikey was a guy who probably is major league ready, and he's really just looking for, for that opportunity for, for a spot to open up for him to get up there. Uh, curious what you've seen from, from Mikey this spring and what you're expecting from him in the early going uh, coming back to AAA. Yeah, Mikey, uh, first-round draft pick in 2011, had a great season here in Durham last year for a high average and, you know, hit the 12 home runs. And, you know, he's uh, he, had, he had a good spring training this year, and I know the uh, the Major League staff really likes him. So um, looking for him to hit in the middle of the lineup for us and, and provide some stability and along with uh, some of the other six-year free agents. But, yeah, Mikey had a great year last year. He set himself up to uh, get that call to the major leagues for the first time, you know, whenever that may come. And um, I'm looking forward to, you know, calling in my office and, and telling me he's going to the big leagues for the first time. It would be a huge honor for me. All right. Jared Sandberg is the first-year manager of the AAA Durham Bulls and Tampa Bay Rays organization. Jared, we appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us, and best of luck with the, the upcoming season. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Durham Bulls manager Jared Sandberg, who is set for the 2015 season in Durham coming up uh, here in the next couple of days. They'll get things rolling there at Durham Bulls Athletic Park. They got a big summer uh, in Durham and really all around North Carolina. They're going to be hosting in July a kind of friendly series, I guess you could call it, between the Cuban national team and the United States collegiate national team, which will be played in Durham and Charlotte and also at the USA Baseball Complex in Cary, North Carolina, which is kind of fun. They've been doing that for the last few years and uh, that'll be a that'll be a pretty cool series as well. There's always something going on in Durham. Durham, Cary, Raleigh, Charlotte. You want to go find baseball anytime? Go to the state of North Carolina because it's a lot of fun. Uh, and with that, we're gonna switch gears and catch up with our good pal Sam Dykstra. What's going on, Sam? Not much. Not much. Okay, so it says in the email rundown, birthday boy Sam Dykstra. Happy birthday. Is it today? It, it is today. Happy today. birthday, Sam! Yeah, April 10th. Yeah. Awesome. Going through my uh, quarter-life crisis as we speak, so I'll, I'll try to keep that minimum on the podcast, but uh, otherwise it's been, been a good there. Been there, still there. I'm at like a third life crisis now. I'm old. Sam, as the youngest person on this podcast, do you know what it means to be on fleek? Um, <laughs> uh, Jake got it in! I didn't even have to! This... 
No, we already we already had this discussion before you oh. came in. We talked about this in the I had never heard this phrase until I saw you debating it on Twitter. Yeah, so <laughs> anybody who um, doesn't follow any of us on Twitter, you should. Um, but Maybe you Tyler, should. But... Yeah. <laughs> Tyler tried using on fleek in a tweet, and I told him once, if he ever tried sneaking that into a story, I would delete the story. <laughs> He hasn't done it yet. I don't. I haven't seen anybody on staff do it. But I'm just one of those people that I cannot. I'm not up on the new hip terms. Sam, Sam, Sam Dykstra, resident prospect writer and old person. Yeah, as one person put it today, I, I don't know how a 25 year old or how a uh, 75 year old can be turning 25, but you've managed. <laughs> So that's kind of just where I stand on the whole uh, lexicon of today's youth. I'm just picking my spot. Just one day, I'm going to write, I'll just have a whole story that's entirely like 16 year old slang. Like, I'll start it off with, like, Chris Bryant is Bay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, just because it's Chris Bryant, I'll have to let it slip. But that's where I draw the line. Just so you know. All right, gents. Uh, here, let's we'll, we'll start talking. One story that I really thought was on fleek this week. Um, we rolled out our 2015 under the radar prospects, uh, which actually is a story that came out yesterday. And this is one of the most entertaining stories. This is one of the funnest stories that we have putting together. And I think was like our highest traffic story last year leading into the 2014 season and putting it together for this year. There's a lot of really intriguing guys uh, on this list. And uh, I want you guys to talk a little bit about the guys that you threw out there. Sam, I know yours was Jose Ramirez uh, in the International League who will be uh, up with Scranton Wilkes-Barre for the Yankees. Yeah, um, I, I always like looking at pitchers for these kind of things. I think they, they can have pretty good breakouts. And uh, with Ramirez, one thing just kind of stood out is the transition he's kind of had going from, you know, starting role where he did have control issues in the past to the bullpen. Um, just because he has that arsenal that really fits a bullpen guy. Um, you know, MLB.com gave him a 65 grade for his fastball and a 60 grade for his changeover. So those are two above average pitches right off the get-go. And if you're going to be a quality reliever, those are the pitches to have. Um, you know, he still has some question marks. He, he's still low in the Yankees system because of that. Um, you know, he missed most of 2014 due to obliques. And like I said before, he had control issues um, in AAA. But if he can overcome both of those and have a solid season, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Delon Batances. Um, obviously, Batances in fastball is that much better, um, just a tick better. But. Uh, you know, go, the Yankees do have a history of taking guys who are struggling as starters, you know, really, really struggling as starters and making them into very quality relievers. And I think Ramirez just kind of fits that mold very well. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the year if he's getting, you know, high leverage innings in the back end of the Yankees bullpen come July, August. The other side of that Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, Jake, you had a guy who's a little bit lower down the ladder, and we picked somebody from each full-season league when you check out this story on MILB.com, our 2015 under-the-radar prospects. But, Jake, you went with an infielder in the South Atlantic League. Yeah, I went with uh, Mauricio Dubon, who's going to be he's opening the year at Greenville. Uh, I think he's probably going to end up sharing time at shortstop with Javier Guerrero, but I'm not sure how the playing time is going to work out. Um, Dubon has a reputation as a guy who's, who's going to stick at shortstop. Uh, I talked a little bit about him last week, um, just as a guy that is actually going to be important in the development, potentially, of Yuan Moncada, because uh, Dubon is from Honduras, but he transferred to uh, an American high school, I think in Southern California, when he was 15 or 16. So he's been in the United States and he speaks good English. He went to an American high school, or an English language high school, rather, in, in Honduras. Um, so he's bilingual and he's going to help out uh, Moncada there. But in his own right, he's he's a pretty interesting prospect. He's going to be able to stick a shortstop. It seems like uh, he's listed at six foot one sixty. I got a pretty good look at him in spring training this year, and that looks to be about right. The actions look pretty good at shortstop. Um, it was really impressive. His batting practice might have been the best batting practice that I saw uh, while I was down in Florida. Um, has a really uh, kind of a unique swing. It looks like a, a louder swing, but has a real unique ability to put the barrel on the ball. He hit, I think, 320 uh, with short season low last year um, and, and showed a little pop in the batting practice. I saw it too. I saw him put a couple balls over the fence, uh, showing some, some fringe average power, uh, maybe even some average power. I'm not sure he's going to be a huge power threat. Seems like the problem with him and the reason he's uh, been held back a little bit on prospect list is one, and he's been a little underseen, but two, he's a guy who's still learning the strike zone and he's his bat is so good, his, his ability to make contact is so good that he doesn't need to wait for strikes to hit the ball. 
but obviously as you climb up the, the ladder, um, pitchers are going to get better. The stuff's going to get better. They're going to get you to chase you know, more nasty stuff just a little bit off the plate. Um, developing that plate discipline is going to be important for, for Dubon, maybe less so than for other guys. But I really like him as a guy to perform with Greenville um, in, in a ball in his full season debut. It's a fascinating story, too. Yeah, yeah, he is. It's, it's one I wanted to profile, and I had a little trouble tracking him down for an interview in, in Florida. But, yeah, a, a fascinating guy. Seems like a really bright kid um, and, and has uh, certainly has Darren Fenster and some of the guys, the Greenville manager, some of the people around Greenville, pretty excited for what he could do this year. There's only been one Honduran-born major leaguer in history. That was Gerald Young. So Dubon's trying to match his effort uh, and be the second big leaguer out of Honduras. Uh, I went with Ryan Healy in the Texas League uh, for the Midland Rockhounds. Last year, you heard so much about Matt Olson and Renato Nunez. Nunez, of course, put together that mammoth second half where I think he hit 20-plus home runs just in the second half alone. Uh, Olson led the California League in home runs. And those two guys were power freaks the entire season for Stockton. But Ryan Healy was kind of quietly right there with him. He, in April last year, batted 185, 231, 343 for his slash line. But season long, he batted 285, 318, 428. So really took off after April finished. 16 homers, 83 runs batted in. That was third most on his team in both of those categories. And he plays kind of all over the place. He was primarily a first baseman at the University of Oregon. Uh, but he's played a lot of third since he's turned into a professional kind of tough spot for him right now because he's playing with a first baseman in Olsen and a third baseman in Nunez, but he's so talented, he's got to get at bats somewhere. He's had a lot of time as a DH obviously, and he can play both of those corner spots. And When you're in the A's system, an opportunity can arise at any moment. We saw last year when Addison Russell went out in a trade, Daniel Robertson stepped into that spot at shortstop, uh, and then Robertson obviously, of course, was traded over the offseason as well. So there are always moments in the A's system where even though there might be somebody in your way Two minutes from now, that guy could be gone. It could be your time to step up. So Ryan Healy's one of those guys uh, who I think could really have a, a season that you want to keep an eye on. And going to the Texas League, going to Midland, a hitters league, a hitters park. That's going to be there will be a lot of runs. There will be a lot of balls flying out of that ballpark uh, for the Midland Rockhounds. Uh, but go check out this story. Our 2015 under the radar prospects. We've got one from each of the full season leagues uh, for the 2015 campaign, and those are kind of some of the most fun storylines to watch. And those three guys are among some of the affiliates that you really want to keep an eye on. But we each picked an affiliate that we think is going to be most exciting this year because there are a lot of teams that have big groups of talent that are going to them. And Sam, start us off. Who's your team to watch this season? Yeah, um, one that's really intriguing for me is uh, you know Class A Greenville Drive. Um, Jake kind of touched on a little bit earlier with Dubon. Um, he's going to be there with Javier Guerra. Uh, just that infield is just going to be fascinating to watch just because they have so much talent in that infield. Between those two, uh, Rafael Devers, who's their number five prospect right now according to MLB, and he's, in a, he's a top 100 guy. Their big season, I'll get into him in a little bit. But um, between Devers and Michael Chavez, who they, was their first-round pick last year, I mean, these are guys who are we – we're talking about two shortstops and two third basemen, and they have to get playing time for all of them. I, I know when I did our prospect primers uh, a little bit earlier uh, this month, uh, last week, I think, um, I, know I asked Red Sox player uh, development director – Ben Crockett about it, and he said, you know, we haven't decided on where guys are going, but we have ways of figuring out how to get them playing time. And particularly when it comes to Devers and Chavez, I think well, the way it's going to work is the way it worked last year in the Gulf Coast League. They're going to, one of them is going to DH every day, and the other one's going to get some time at the hot corner. Um, Chavez was a shortstop himself, but obviously with the, those other two guys at short, that's just not the way it's going to work out. Um, the most promising talent on that team is going to be Devers. Um, I know compared to what you guys are going to be talking about, there's not as much top 100 talent on Greenville as there is other places, but Class A, that's where guys pop. That's where they get into that top 100 discussion. And when Devers last year, you know, he was 17 years old, um, starting out in the DSL with, you know, most guys who do that, you know, coming out of the Dominican, they start right in their home country there. And he actually played his way out of there, hit 337, had a 984 OPS. The Red Sox kind of looked at him and said, you know what, he's not being challenged here. We need to move him up. So they moved him to state stateside in the GCL as a 17-year-old. And that's a rare thing, too. I mean, that's an yeah. impressive thing to move from from the Dominican to a stateside league in season. Exactly. And that, that's just a thing that doesn't really happen ever, to, to move them out of their comfort zone. And they just decided, you know what, this guy's a left-handed slugger who isn't being challenged here, and we might as well see what we can do with him. And he, and he passed the test. I mean, he hit 312. 
um, had a slugging percentage approaching 500. You know, the, the guy's tools played at, at the stateside level as a 17-year-old going up against sometimes college guys who had just been drafted. Um, so, you know, when I asked Crockett about it for the primer, I, I said, you know, do you think that's going to translate to full season leagues, even though he's going to be 18 all of this summer? And he said, oh, yeah, I think the, the, the uh, power is going to translate everywhere. You know, no matter where he goes in the system, that's going to play no matter where he is. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of fits in, how they're going to get at bats for him. Like I said, I think it'll be a little bit dh And another one to guy just to touch on quick was Javier Guerra. Um, I remember when the GCL Red Sox won the GCL title last year. Uh, their manager was completely talking about as the leader of the team. He said, you, you do not win championships unless you have this guy on there. And he was talking about mostly for his defensive abilities. He's a guy who hit 269, doesn't walk a whole lot. His OBP was only 286. Um, but just the effort he puts forth in the field, you know, I don't put too much weight into the whole he's a winner discussion yet, but the leader type he was and the plus ability he has in the field should be really interesting to see when he gets to play, you know, potentially 100-plus games this year, um, you know, in, in Greenville. Jake, you went a couple of steps up from uh, Class A, the South Atlantic League, where the Greenville Drive are. You went two levels up. Uh, who's your pick for this year? Yeah, my uh, my pick for, for affiliates to watch, and you better get there soon because I don't know how long it's going to be uh, a must-watch, but Double A Chattanooga and the twin system is about as loaded as I can really remember a, a lineup being, and they have some pitching there, too. Um, it starts with the Twins' top two prospects in, in Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. Um, saw both guys in spring training a little bit, and, and their farm director mentioned he thought both guys were a little bit rusty, maybe Buxton a little more than Sano. Uh, Buxton even even acknowledged in an interview that he's feeling like his swing might not be totally back to, to where it was, but Buxton missed, missed most of the season with various injuries. Sano missed the entire season with Tommy John surgery. Um, yeah, Buxton's, I don't think anybody's panicking that the two of them are not going to get back to the form they were in, but uh, Buxton might take a little bit longer, maybe a little slower to come out of the gate. Sano's looked a little better. Um, and the arm is, is back to what you'd expect. Um, beyond those two, and I think those two might move to, to AAA by midseason, if not sooner, and if not all the way to the majors pretty quickly, but they are going to be in Chattanooga to start the year. Um, other position players that are going to be there, Jorge Polanco, who made his Major League debut last year, um, jumping straight from the Florida State League up to the majors and handled that really well. Uh, guy who's uh, a middle infielder who played shortstop, solely shortstop for the first time last year in the, the Florida State League and handled that really well. Some of the managers who saw him down there and other people who saw down there thought he he looks like a full-time shortstop now going forward and has a bat that's really going to profile there adam brett walker has as much power as anybody in the system except for sano and really it's it's kind of close um just wait and see the hit tool and the pitch recognition kind of catch up max kepler is an interesting guy a, a german-born prospect uh, was maybe a little further behind in his development just because he's coming from such a unique background but has some promise, has some size, has some power. Travis Harrison will be in the outfield. Stuart Turner will be catching. All those guys are, I think all of them were top 20 prospects of the twin system, certainly notable guys. And on the pitching side, the ace of that staff is going to be Jose Barrios. who got a little bit of double-A time last year uh, and looks just outstanding when he was there. Um, stuff ticked up a little bit near the end of the season last year. He's up to 98 miles an hour on the gun. Um, he's looking really good and is a really fun guy, fun personality. Was, we did a Q&A with him early in the offseason. He compared himself to, to Justin Verlander and, and Felix Hernandez and um, really a confident guy and a, an interesting guy to watch. And they're going to have two of their draft picks from last year going to be in the bullpen and second rounder Nick Birdie and fifth rounder Jake Reed. Uh, I didn't see Birdie pitch in, in spring training, but I saw Reed pitch while I was down in, in uh, Florida. Rather, um, Looked really good. The fastball was, was sticking up in the mid-90s and, and thought his breaking ball looked pretty good. Um, I think he might have taken a step forward just based on you know, comparing it to, to scouting reports I'd, I'd seen. Um, yeah, that's and then, then they're going to have Doug Mankiewicz as a first-year double-A manager there, too. Mankiewicz is um, obviously an interesting guy for, for Twins fans and, and, and uh, you know certainly uh, something to watch there. And it's the first year for the, the Twins being in uh, in Chattanooga. They were in New Britain for was well, a long time, I think it's almost 20 years, something like that, before uh, before heading to Chattanooga. So they're, they're giving the, uh, the folks in Tennessee a good first affiliate to, to watch. 
one of the uh, maybe only rosters that can kind of compare to that in terms of just top, top, top flight talent. Not the same league, but it's the same level. I took uh, the double-A Corpus Christi hooks who are going to be loaded right out of the gate to start. Kind of the same thing as Jake said. Get to see him quickly because I'm not sure how many of these guys are going to be there for that long. But six of MLB.com's top ten Astros prospects are going to start the season in Corpus Christi, including back-to-back years of top overall draft selections. And Carlos Correa, the shortstop, and Mark Appel, the right-hander, they're is a ton of talent on that team. Uh, in addition to those guys, third baseman Colin Moran, outfielder uh, Teoscar Hernandez, Josh Hader, the left-hander, and Lance McCullers, the right-hander. All of those guys are in the top 10 for MLB.com. They're all on that Corpus Christi roster to start the season. And they're going to be joined by a lot of teammates who are with Class A Advanced Lancaster last year, as well as last year's Class A Advanced Lancaster manager, Rodney Linares, who they won the California League and kind of rolled basically up until the championship series. They went the distance in that championship series, but they won the league uh and I mean, they're, talent-wise, they're loaded. And I actually talked to Rodney earlier this week uh, for our Texas League preview and just asked him, like, when you have that many talented guys, do you think they feed off of each other? And he said, yeah, absolutely, I think they do. But he also said something that I thought was really interesting just for the way that his teams have succeeded. He said, I want 25 players. I want 25 guys that can come in and develop. If your ceiling is going to be double-A, I'm going to try to get the best out of your ability at double-A. When you have a large group of guys that have so much ability, yeah, it pushes them. And that's what I think is very fun to watch about this team and really this whole organization with how much talent the Astros have right now. But you see it in, they played the exhibition game against the Astros at Whataburger Field last week, and you see it in the way when Carlos Correa hits a home run off of a major league pitcher, the way that he's greeted in the dugout, the way that those guys really kind of saw their energy and their their spark start to build when they got out early, when they got some hits early, when they were really kind of pushing the envelope against their parent club. It seems like they have a lot of fun. They have a coaching staff that really encourages that, encourages the guys to be friendly but competitive with each other. Uh, so again, like Jake said get there quickly because I'm not sure how long they're all going to be there but Corpus Christi is going to have a very fun team to watch in the Texas League those are our three affiliates to watch Uh, and really quickly just before we move out of this one uh, our one thing I read segment we're going to wrap up with one thing that you should read head to MILB.com right now we have a lot of reaction from players coaches administrators on the pitch clocks which are going to debut in AA and AAA this year I think from almost everybody across the board we've heard it's probably really not going to affect things that much no, I wouldn't think that at all. I mean, you just think about, like, 20 seconds. I know Eddie Butler said this. He, he said they had a uh, mental coach who tells them you lose focus on anything after 15 seconds. So what they're being taught anyways is to get the ball and get rid of it within 15 seconds. Um, that gives them a little bit of a five-second buffer. Um, I think it's just one of those things. It's a new thing. It'll be weird in the first month or two. We'll all get used to it by June, and then by July it's not a story anymore until you know a, a pitch clock violation leads to a ball that leads to a walk coming in in, in the extra innings or something like that. But other than that, I don't think it's going to be much of a story um, after the first couple of weeks of the season. So go ahead to MILB.com, check out that story, because there's a lot of good stuff in there from you know players and managers and administrators, and, uh, and it'll be an interesting thing for fans to watch watch this season as well uh the pitch clocks instituted for the first time at double a AA and triple a sam happy birthday man thank you very much <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't spend it anywhere else that's a heck of an answer i like that i like that attitude the show before the show moving on uh ben's biz blog ben's biz uh banter have we come up with a we haven't come up with a podcast name for ben yet but we're gonna do that benjamin hill coming up next We're super excited about segment number, I don't know, what is this, number four for episode number two of the show before the show. The man, the myth, the legend, Benjamin Hill of Ben's Biz blog joins us for his first live edition of Ben's Biz Banter, which I'm hoping is an approved name by the wordplay master, Benjamin Hill. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. What's going on? I'm sitting in a uh, obscure conference room so <laughs> you and Jake. <laughs> You are going a whole heck of a lot of places this year. You're going to start things off in Florida. Then you're coming sort of out my way. You're going to the Midwest. Then a Virginia trip. And then uh, you're going to Vermont. Then you're going to the Deep South. You're like all over the place this year. But we wanted to talk to you about a very specific segment of the Benjamin Hill Road Trip Aura, which is the Designated Eater Program, which I'm going to deem a program like it's a nonprofit foundation that you founded. Tell us about the Designated Eaters and uh, how you have granted them such MI. LB immortality. 
Yeah, well, I am applying for 501c3 nonprofits. But the designated eater is, um, I'm pretty sure it's never been done in sports or sports journalism or whatever it is that you want to call what I do. Um, But, you know, exploring America through minor league baseball is a uh, big premise of mine, and I am fortunate enough to be able to do that throughout the season. Uh, I started doing that in 2010, um, officially, and during the 2012 season, I was diagnosed with celiac disease, meaning I had to switch to a gluten-free diet. And given that I was traveling America through minor league baseball and eating a lot of food, all of a sudden, that was uh, a difficult premise of how can I eat the ballpark food that I've become accustomed to eating, which is part of my blog and article content and showcasing the food and me eating and all that stuff. How can I do that if I can no longer have gluten, which is wheat, rye, barley, which is in a lot of ballpark food, you know, all bread for one and breaded and fried. So I thought... I like the two staples of minor league food, bread and breaded and fried. Yeah, you're talking about 80% (laughs) of the food right there. So I thought, well, I can't go to minor league parks and not write about the food just because I can't eat it anymore. And uh, that is a part of the content that it's uh, not the most highbrow, but it always gets attention because people love food and thinking about food and looking at pictures of food. (laughs) So um, I don't know if it was an epiphany, and I can't really remember how the idea came to me, but pretty shortly after I got diagnosed, I came up with the idea of, well, I'll recruit a designated eater at each ballpark. And so every time I go to a stadium, I will have someone, you know, probably a local fan, who will eat the gluten, the uh, the ballpark cuisine that my gluten-free diet prohibits. There, I just had to get the phrasing correct there. <laughs> um, so that started late in 2012, kind of unofficially, and then I kind of instituted as a program in 2013. And by this point, it's really picked up steam. And when I post my road trip schedules, um, I I put it out there to people, hey, first come, first serve. You know, literally, if you want to be the designated eater at a ballpark I'm uh, visiting, then get in touch. And that's what I'm doing right now, getting dozens and dozens of emails and, um, you know, establishing my designated eaters all across the country this year. And it's turned out to be a lot of fun because I still get to highlight the food. And then I also get to meet more locals and kind of have a little bit more of a local flavor just through whoever the designated eater turns out to be. Are, are there palate requirements for somebody to apply to be a designated eater? Are you looking for anything in particular or is it really just somebody says, I want to eat food on your bill and tell you how good it is and then you, you write up what they say? That's basically <laughs> it. I mean, the requirements is, look, I'm the one with the disease, so you got to be like good to go. You can't have your own life requirements. <laughs> Um, and beyond that, it's, yeah, just uh, let's make it happen. But, you know, it really depends on the team. You know, sometimes the team knows I'm coming and, uh, you know, they'll try to hook me up with whatever they have gluten-free. And then they'll just make, you know, they'll just give the designated eater six, seven, eight different things, just obscene amounts of foods because they want to showcase all of it. And then there's some parks I've gone to where it's uh, myself and the designated eater, whoever he or she is, just sort of walking around and going to the concession stands by ourselves and me being like, yeah, you want to try that? Cool. And then, like, I take an awkward picture of them eating it, and that's about it. <laughs> so just like minor league baseball itself, there's a ton of diversity from park to park in terms of how this program is implemented. But I kind of like that ramshackle nature. You never really know what you're going to get. And uh, as I said, I like meeting people at the ballparks through designated eating. Okay, I've got two questions for you. Number one, is it difficult to watch? Because, like, I would imagine at some points there's something that just looks heartbreakingly delicious that your celiac disease diagnosis prevents you from eating. Is that tough? And two, if people want to get in on this gravy train because there are a whole lot of spots that are open for this 2015 season, how do they get in touch with you? How do they become the next great in the line of designated eaters? Well, uh, to answer your first question, sometimes it is a little painful to have delicious food in front of me and just being like hey how's that taste (laughs) and uh but you know if i was blind i would want people to tell me what they saw that's a good analogy though i would not have really thought about it that way yeah i I don't really mind because the way i look at it is in the scheme of things you know i'm still a healthy american man overall healthy who gets to travel all around the country and visit minor league ballparks and Yes, it is frustrating to be limited in what I can eat, but in the scheme of things, that's a pretty small handicap. So I just kind of roll with it and uh, think it's just kind of fun to, again, meet these people and and, then hear what they have to say. And, you know, I find my gluten-free options as well. You know, I'll eat a hot dog without the bun. A lot of nachos are good to go. And, 
you know, I get by. Yeah, how, how many of these, I mean, the minor league parks are, it seems like they're always topping one another for the most just absurd food item. Of those that are, are there any of those that you have been able to eat and that you've enjoyed, or is it pretty much everything they do that seems over the top is pretty much eliminating uh, you as a potential customer? Yeah, I mean, the extreme eats, you know, quote yeah. extreme, are mostly going to be something on right. a bun or at least have some breaded element. There's or no, it, no minor league teams putting together an extreme salad or something that... <laughs> Well, there was, uh, I think it's Akron this year, does have a, a, something extreme lettuce wedge. <laughs> for, so I might be able to do that. Not that I really would want an extreme lettuce wedge or maybe even any sort of lettuce wedge, no matter what. <laughs> I but, uh, you know, it's... Um, He's so, so ungrateful for your, your hard work, Akron, trying to, to bend. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I love you, Akron. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but there are some exceptions. Like I was in West Michigan last year, or two years ago, and they've since discontinued it. But the uh, the baco was gluten free. You know, it was basically a uh, bacon as a taco oh, shell. Oh, that's right. You know, so that was naturally gluten free. So I, I like that a lot. You know, if you put something on a stick, but don't bread it or fry it, you know, you can do that. Some pork chop on a stick, or um, well, I guess that's about it. Everything's better on a stick. Yeah, but I like when things are on sticks. Minor league way. I like nachos a lot. As long as you do it with fresh ingredients, it doesn't have to be this gluten-free consolation prize. It's something that everyone truly likes. Yeah, so true. I, I tell teams, just have really good nachos with fresh ingredients, <laughs> and uh, you can cater that. And uh, it, no one really has a problem with nachos. But, yeah, Jake, to answer your question, more often than not, you know, I'm sitting on the sidelines. And, again, is that I think that's okay. You know, I'm getting older, I'm putting on more weight anyway, and uh, I don't really need to be eating every disgusting thing placed in front of me, which was my MO up until I got diagnosed with celiac disease. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. <laughs> he is Benjamin Hill. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben's Biz. You can read the blog bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And, uh, Ben, there are some open spots for 2015 designated eaters. I noticed that your one in Omaha is open, so maybe I'm thinking about a road trip. Uh, although I don't even know if that's in the rules. Is a fellow MILB.com writer even allowed to be a designated eater? I haven't really drawn up official bylines. <laughs> <laughs> that has to happen before you can file for a 501c3, I think. That is true. So you're right. One, one step at a time. But, uh, yeah, if you go to Ben's Biz blog, check out my road trip itineraries. Um, yeah, the spots are going fast. But if you want to eat on my behalf at a minor league ballpark, please get in touch. So they, they reach out via Twitter or in the comments? Or where's, where's uh, the best e way? Email. email. My email is in the post multiple times. I, I ask for email because that's how I can keep everything organized. If it was just – I have to – uh, put his company together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I need some organization. So. for documentation for the IRS. Going exactly, exactly. You can't just give away burgers on Krispy Kreme donuts and expect there to not be a paper trail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so go follow Ben on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. And uh, Ben, we'll do it again next week, man. All right, I look forward to it. Big thanks, as always, to our good pal, Benjamin Hill. You can once more go follow Ben on Twitter, at Ben's Biz. You can read the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And Ben's stuff is some of the best stuff out there. Go give Ben a follow, give all his stuff a read. And uh, if you so choose to be a designated eater, send your information in and don't eat for like a week before. Actually, I think you're supposed to eat more. Like if you want to do competitive eating or something, I think yep. they say you're supposed to eat more to condition yourself. And say the, the day before, I think, is when you... Yeah. So... Yeah. Undergo a strict program, a big regimen to get ready. Don't, don't go based on what we say. Look this up. This yeah, we, are not, we are not medical professionals who should be giving you this advice at all. <laughs> but uh, we are just about set to wrap up episode number two of MILB.com's The Show Before the Show. It is opening week, finally. Opening day coming up on Thursday. Full season teams coast to coast are set to roll out for the 2015 season. And you can catch action all season long at MILB.TV. MILB.TV has your access uh, to games broadcast online across the country throughout the 2015 season. Go get your subscription. And again... You want a chance to win a subscription to MILB TV for the 2015 season? Send us your answer to our question of the week, which once more this week is this. If you're a Cubs fan, do you want Chris Bryant starting this year in AAA, or would you have preferred him to start in the major leagues at third base at Wrigley Field? Send us your answer, podcast at MILB.com, podcast at MILB.com, and one random 
answerer, one random respondent will get a free 2015 season of MILB TV. Uh, but man, Jake, this is, we're like so close now. Next week, we're going to be talking real baseball, things that happened on a field, which is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, look, looking forward to that. I think we're, we're trying to get this out to run on Thursday on opening day, so hopefully you were listening to that and uh, getting ready to tune into your favorite team on MILB.TV. Uh, I know we will be – I don't know if you're working on Thursday. I know I'll be in the office Thursday night doing game coverage and waiting to see what all is going to happen. Uh, pretty pretty excited to, to get actual games to write about. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'll be on Thursday night as well, and uh, we'll have a whole lot of stuff coming your way. Uh, really through the rest of this week, we got a bunch more opening day content to roll out, some more league previews, and uh, all kinds of fun leading up to Thursday's first pitch from coast to coast in full season leagues for minor league baseball. So uh, that's going to do it for episode number two of the show before the show. I'm Tyler Mon. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyler Mon. You can follow Jake Siner on Twitter at Jake underscore Siner. Sam Dykstra is at Sam Dykstra MILB, and Benjamin Hill, as you heard is Ben's Biz at Ben's Biz on Twitter. And once more, send us your emails, your feedback, your answers to our question of the week, podcast at MILB.com. And until next week, enjoy some baseball coming up in opening week. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Jake and Tyler signing off.